Good evening, everyone, and welcome back once again to our live Wednesday night Bible study. Today is November 25th, 2020, and our teacher can go ahead and join me. I'm excited because I believe this is the first time, correct? This is the first time we have cajoled and begged and pleaded and prodded and whatever else to get her to join us. But as you can see, Regina Beardsley is here with me live tonight on the broadcast, and we're excited about that. And so without further ado, I am going to get out of the way, and I'm going to go ahead and let Regina begin. Thank you. It's good to be here tonight. And uh, I have a couple of announcements. I've been instructed to tell you that we will not be having a broadcast tomorrow evening. Normally we have a broadcast on Thursday, but since it's Thanksgiving, we are not doing that. Give everybody a chance to celebrate uh, being thankful for all of our blessings together. And yes, we will broadcast again on Friday night. So you don't want to miss that. It is a special Friday night with friends with special guests. So um, with those announcements out of the way, let me turn to the lesson. So the series we've been doing, as you probably know, if you've been following along, is You Fool. And that's a, a, uh, that is a title to get your attention. So I hope it does. And the the scripture we're kind of using for this overview of this topic is 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And it says, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. And we've talked about various things that we as Christians do in our lives that go against the grain. They don't follow the conventions of the world and they even seem foolish in, in the world's viewpoint. Like, why are you doing that? That doesn't make any sense. And, and I especially appreciated last night Arash's lesson about uh, giving and tithing because it ties into a lot of what we're talking about tonight. I think he even used a scripture that I've planned to use. So that's fine. Scripture's fine to be used twice or many more times. I want to start, uh, my topic tonight is the foolishness of contentment, and it was planned that we did this the night before Thanksgiving, so I will confess that, uh, and, and only, only in America, I think, do we spend a day on Thursday, a full day, whose purpose is simply to thank God for all of our blessings, and then the next day, or maybe even that night, we go out and stand in line or, or it used to be, they've, they've gotten a little better of it, at it for safety reasons, but, you know, Walmart would open their doors at, I don't know, four o'clock on Black Friday morning and people would trample each other to get to the widescreen, the flat screen TVs, you know, this is, this is very American here where we are thankful for a short little bit and then we want our new toy. So tonight we're talking about contentment, and it does tie very closely in to the concept of Thanksgiving. It, it flies in the face of Americanism, uh, individualism, accomplishment, getting what you can get, the American dream, the pursuit of happiness, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, the rat race, how many other 
our, our culture is full of these ideas of getting as much as you can get. Uh, as I've traveled to some other places in the world, more uh, developing country or third world type context, I've, I've been really amazed, first of all, with, with the poverty and the lack of resources there. And that makes me thankful. But also um, their, their focus is a little different. We'll, we'll see people just sitting, uh, just sitting. And I'm not advocating that we all just sit all day and don't get things done, but there is a, a balance. And I guess that's, that's what I'm trying to strike at tonight is this, this balance and this focus. I wanna start by reading a story. This is a, a folk tale that is quite common. I, I think it's Yiddish to begin with, but it's been put in a lot of different cultural contexts. Uh, Desi's gonna share in, in a minute the, a couple of resources. I first was exposed to this story in a children's book by Beverly Lewis called Cows in the House. And it's not a Yiddish context. They take it and put it in Thailand uh, about a little boy. And it's the same story though. And then, and then there's a CD uh, storyteller that we had uh, several CDs of his with the kids. We would listen to them in the car on trips or even just on the way to church or whatever. His name is Jim Weiss and he has this story and he tells it in, in this Jewish context. So I'm going to read this story to you, and uh, it's a very foolish tale, but it, it's a nice, nice story that gets your attention. Once upon a time, in a small village, a poor, unfortunate man lived with his mother, his wife, and his six children in a one-room hut. Because they were so crowded, the man and his wife often argued. The children were noisy, and they fought. In winter, when the nights were long and the days were cold, life was especially hard. The hut was full of crying and quarreling. One day, when the poor unfortunate man could stand it no longer, he ran to the rabbi for advice. Holy rabbi, he cried, things are in a bad way with me and getting worse. We are so poor that my mother, my wife, my six children and I all live together in one small hut. We are too crowded and there's too much noise. Help me, Rabbi. I'll do whatever you say. The rabbi thought and he pulled on his beard. And at last he said, tell me, my poor man, do you have any animals? Perhaps a chicken or two. Uh, yes, said the man, I, I do have a few chickens. Also a rooster and a goose. Ah, fine, said the rabbi. Now go home and take the chickens, the rooster and the goose into your hut to live with you. Yes, indeed, rabbi, said the man, though he was a bit surprised. As a, as a subtext, I, I think this might fit into the spiritual abuse lesson that we've had recently. <laughs> this is not, I promise if you come to one of the pastoral care uh, team, hopefully they won't tell you to bring chickens into your house. But anyway, this is the story. Uh, yes, indeed, Rabbi, said the man, though he was a bit surprised. The poor, unfortunate man hurried home and took the chickens, the rooster, and the goose out of the shed and into his little hut. When some days or a week had gone by, 
life in the hut was worse than before. Now with the quarreling and crying, there was honking, crowing, and clucking. There were feathers in the soup. The hut stayed just as small and the children grew bigger. When the poor unfortunate man could stand it no longer, he again ran to the rabbi for help. Holy rabbi, he cried, see what a misfortune has befallen me. Now with the crying and the quarreling, with the honking, clucking and crowing, there are feathers in the soup. Rabbi, it couldn't be worse. Help me, please. The rabbi listened and thought. At last he said, tell me, do you happen to have a goat? Oh yes, I do have an old goat, but he's not worth much. Excellent, said the rabbi. Now go home and take the old goat into your hut to live with you. Oh no, do you really mean it, rabbi, cried the man. Come, come now, my good man, and do as I say at once, said the rabbi. The poor, unfortunate man tramped back home with his head hanging down, and he took the goat into his hut. When some days or a week had gone by, life in the little hut was much worse. Now, with the crying, quarreling, clucking, honking, and crowing, the goat went wild, pushing and butting everyone with his horns. The hut seemed smaller, the children grew bigger. When the poor, unfortunate man couldn't stand it another minute, he ran back to the rabbi. Holy rabbi, he screamed, now the goat is running wild. My life is a nightmare. The rabbi listened and thought. At last he said, tell me, my poor man, is it possible that you have a cow? Young or old doesn't matter. Yes, rabbi. It's true, I have a cow, said the poor man fearfully. Go home then, said the rabbi, and take the cow into your hut. Oh no, surely not, rabbi, cried the man. Do it at once, said the rabbi. The poor unfortunate man trudged slowly home with a heavy heart, and he took the cow into his hut. Is the rabbi crazy, he thought. When some days or a week had gone by, life in the hut was very much worse than before. Everyone quarreled, even the chickens. The goat ran wild. The cow trampled everything. And I'm going to add the story doesn't have it. Can you imagine the poop? Okay. The poor man could hardly believe his misfortune. At last, when he could stand it no longer, he ran to the rabbi for help. I think I might have started going to a different source of help if it were me. Holy rabbi, he shrieked, help me, save me. The end of the world has come. The cow is trampling everything. There is no room even to breathe. It's worse than a nightmare. The rabbi listened and thought. At last he said, go home now, poor unfortunate man, and let all the animals out of your hut. Oh, I will, I will, I'll do it right away, said the man. And he rushed out and the poor unfortunate man hurried home and let the cow, the goat, the chickens, the goose and the rooster out of his little hut. That night, the poor man and all his family, his wife, his mother and his six children and him slept peacefully. There was no crowing, no clucking, 
no honking. There was plenty of room to breathe. The very next day, the poor man ran back to the rabbi. Holy rabbi, he cried, you have made life so sweet for me. With just my family in the hut, it's so quiet, so roomy, so peaceful. What a pleasure. And that's the Yiddish folk tale. Um, things could always be worse. And sometimes we need to focus on, we need to get a focus on our contentment. I have another story that isn't a folk story, but it's a parable. Uh, the farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself about it and he said, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. So the guy recognizes he has a problem. He's got more grain, more harvest than he has barns. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and my goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Now, before I go on with this story, you're probably recognizing this story, some of you, but isn't that just the way our American, the American dream um, does? Uh, save and save and scrounge and scrooge and, and pull things together and keep it to yourself uh, and build bigger barns. Well, this story goes on and says, just then God showed up and said, fool. Now this is God saying fool. I don't want God to say I'm a fool. But often when we do things God's way, the world says we're a fool. And when we do things the world's way, God says we're a fool. He said, fool, tonight you die and you're barn full of goods. Who gets it? And then Jesus said, yes, this was Jesus's story. That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. He condemns. Jesus condemns this selfish, self-absorbed, very American behavior. Let me go back and read what the man says to himself. And let's look at how self-centered these statements are. Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods. And I'll say to myself, Say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. You see how everything was about him, me, my, mine, and his comfort and what he wanted. And you can see that his focus was very much, very much off. This same story begins like this and it says, this is the point, the moral of the, of the tale Jesus gave at the beginning. And he said, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. And this word here, greed, means more than just money. It means avarice or covetousness, the, the attitude behind the greed. It's more than just money. Jesus says, life is not, life is not defined by what you have even when you have a lot. So it's not defined by what you have or, or have not. 
This is found in Luke 12, 13 through 21. And I picked the message because I wanted a storytelling version. It's, it's a very un-Fortune 500, very un-Forbes most wealthy people kind of story. And honestly, I haven't heard it preached about a whole lot because it, it clashes so strongly with what our culture tells us to do, but it is just as biblical as any other of the parables Jesus told. Jesus uses it, again, prescriptive or descriptive. He uses it as an example of what not to do. Don't be like this rich man. Um, and we are constantly told we should be like this rich man. And I'm not saying you can't put money in your 401k, that you can't save up for a nice retirement, that you can't uh, prepare, but really our focus needs to not be on those things. I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, and I'm not going to share my screen because I, I have just chosen not to. So if you would like to get out your Bibles, you are welcome to. You probably have a phone in front of you or something. And if you want to know what version, I'm reading out of the NLT. So the first scripture comes from John. And this is a letter, as we, we've learned in some of our big groups about different genres of literature. So imagine that you're getting this letter from John. And he says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. The KJV you might have heard before sums it up with these three things, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. John goes on to say these, that's these being a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These things are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who pleases God will live forever. We can't have both. We can't have it all. Now, that doesn't mean, it doesn't say we can't have things, but we cannot love them. We cannot be focused on them. We have to pick. If we love the world, we don't have the love of the Father in us. Similar idea of focus comes from Matthew 6. This verse is Matthew 6, starting at 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Those of you who have come to Newark UPC for a while, you might remember my just a thought about the, the rusty car that they buried in Tulsa 50 years ago. It wasn't rusty when they buried it. But they buried it in a time capsule and by the time they pulled it up, it was a complete rust bucket. Rust destroys things here. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. 
if we lay up our treasures, our wealth, our focus into heavenly things, there's nothing that can break into heaven and take those out. And we will also be in heaven. I'm going to skip down to verse 24, where it says, this is similar to the first John passage, but this is the words of Jesus. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. Now, this is a rhetorical, a, um, a, a way of speech, kind of a figure of speech. He's not saying that you're actually going to love, that you're actually supposed to hate anyone. That's, that's not what he's saying. But in contrast, it's as if they're so far apart, it's as if they're that opposite, love and hate. You will be devoted to one and despise the other, or you will treat it with contempt. You will just look down your nose on it and it won't even matter. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The, the message here though is not simply about money, the, the greenbacks. Of course, they didn't have greenbacks, they had something else, but it's not about the physical um, possession of money. It's about the wealth and the position, the possessions. And also I would say the positions that that buys and the, the control and all of those things. Here he's calling for un qualified, unequivocal, unfettered discipleship. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other, and you cannot serve God and be enslaved to wealth and possessions. Now, what happens if we have things wrong? One of the things that happens, and I know this because I have, it's one of my weaknesses, is that I worry I trust in things besides God. I've heard, uh, of course, there's a, you know, the commandments against idolatry. God hates idolatry. The whole Old Testament is full of God um, trying to pull his people out of idolatry. And we in America today say, ah, we don't, we don't worship idols and we don't, we don't have, you know, little statues around and worship them and give them little offerings and things. We certainly don't sacrifice our children to Molech anymore or any of those horrible things. But I would argue that anything that takes our trust away from God, anything we're trusting in instead of God, is a kind of idolatry. And when we worry because we don't have enough money or we don't have the proper things or we don't have the control we want, we are not trusting. And I can say that honestly because I do it and I work on it, but it is a weakness of mine. I have a feeling it might be a weakness of somebody out there too. So um, here we have, I don't have what scripture this is. I'm sorry, but I'm going to read this scripture and maybe you can find it. This is why I tell you not to worry. Don't be anxious is what that means there. Don't be anxious, anxiety filled about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink. This isn't the gospels. I just somehow deleted my tag when I was editing. I'm sorry. But Jesus is saying, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink 
or enough clothes to wear. Wow, that's really extreme. I've never in my life not had some kind of food to eat. And I've always had multiple sets of clothes to wear. But Jesus says, don't even worry about that. I have a feeling some in his audience did have to worry about that. Uh, they were very poor. Some of them were very poor people. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plan or harvest or store in food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. Have you ever looked at wildflowers? Like maybe they planted them along the interstate or something, or um, even in deserts, there are wildflowers. There's wildflowers all over the place and they just come up and they're beautiful. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Now, let me tell you, folks, if I am asking, what will I eat and what will I drink? I'm going to be a basket case, just being honest here. I'm not used to relying on God like this. And it's not a good thing. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. He will give you everything you need. This is the one, one of the ones Arash mentioned last night. If we seek the kingdom of God above all else. And I found that that doesn't mean that I have a want. So I'm going to seek the kingdom of God and get what I want. What happens, I found in myself, is when I seek God, he often changes my wants. And he gives me instead what I need. And he goes on to say, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And I will tell you that during this COVID situation, there's a lot of worry. And I would even say that it's more worry, more legitimate worry than we've had in the U.S. for a while. Uh, is Congress going to get its act together and do some help? Is the economy going to go into a depression? Um, I hate to even mention these things, but they're real. They're in the back of our minds. Are we, are we going to get laid off? Are we going to have enough for my family? And it's even more so in times like this, I think, that we need to focus on this idea of trusting God and keeping our focus on contentment and thankfulness. Philippians 4, always be, Philippians 4, starting at 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Uh, if you're rejoicing, you're not worrying. And if you're worrying, you're not rejoicing. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. 
Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what you, he has done. Tomorrow, we're going to thank him for what he's done. And we can thank him tonight for what he's done too. Then you will experience God's peace. And I would put in there God's contentment, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. And the, the point that I kept reading for was not, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And again, he's not saying that you can't have things. He's saying he's getting to the, the contentment piece of it. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And I have one more, one more scripture. So um, I think I have one more, maybe I have more than that. Um, but we're coming to the close. So if you would like to start asking your questions, that would be fine. This is Hebrews 13, starting at five. And he actually, it actually pulls in quotes from Deuteronomy 31, the context of which uh, Moses is addressing the Israelites before they go into the promised land. And then Hebrews is quoting it. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, and this is pulling from Deuteronomy, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to us? And actually, this is my last, my last scripture here. To sum it all up, and I, I want us to focus on the, the two points here, which is um, keep our focus on God and the things of heaven and not the things of the world. And by doing that, we also don't worry and we trust him. First Timothy 6, 6 through 19. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. I've known some very poor people who were very wealthy. And I've known some very wealthy people who were very poor. The poor people who had contentment were very wealthy. And the people who had all the things in the world and weren't content, they were very poor. He goes on to say, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped 
by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And I would say that the money is also the, the root of evil money um, would also be that control that money buys you, that prestige that money buys you, that not having to rely on God that that buys you. That's what is the root of the evil. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which he has called you. Sounds like laying up treasures in heaven, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you, I'm going on to 14, that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And skipping down to verse 17, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Look at that. It's not that we have to just have enough to eke out a meager existence. No, he gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. So we need to be content and we need to be at peace and we need to not worry so much. And I'm speaking to myself there as well. COVID has given us an opportunity to be thankful. This Thanksgiving feels a little bit different for me because I guess I've gotten a reality check that things could always get worse. I haven't had to bring any cows or roosters or chickens into my home and I'm very thankful for my home, but things could always get worse. And I'm very grateful for what God has given me. I am done with the exception of Desi's gonna come on and share his screen and play a short video and then we will answer your questions. Desi? I'm alive! I'm alive! Yeah? Yeah! Oh, yeah! Hey, Christine! You're here too! I love you! I know! Dad! What's happening? Honey, the power works! It's coming, it goes on and off! Whatever we want! <laughs> We've got clean water! Oh, that's great! Look at that! Ooh! I bet I know what this does! Rain down the glorious water! Ah! <laughs> Shoes! Oh, what do we got here, guys?
Did you guys see this? Yeah, you have a car. Oh a car! <laughs> and don't forget your coffee. You're the best. I love that video. It's Christmas and I know it's I've not- I've been doing Christmas. a lot of video conferencing recently and by far the biggest problem I've had is light. So I decided to invest in my video call. Sorry about that. Gotta love YouTube. <laughs> I even told it not to autoplay the next video, but there we go. What can you do? Okay. Yep. All right. So I am coming on and I see that we've got lots of comments that are in the stream. If you have questions or things you'd like us to maybe explore a little further as we talk about this discussion of contentment, please go ahead and submit those comments now in our chat stream. But as we get started, um, I was thinking, and I scribbled a few quick notes while you were talking tonight, and I like the video you shared at the very end. Stuff we take for granted. Um, I know in my house, we have a, a freezer, right? That's not attached to our refrigerator. It's a separate unit. And it has, Rachel will find really good deals on, you know, frozen vegetables or whatever else or something. Or we shop at Costco and maybe sometimes she'll buy something in a bigger bulk and we'll cut it up and put it in freezer bags and, you know, store it for later. And there have been a couple times, and I need to be reminded of this, where I'll go downstairs with my kids and I'll say, you, you want to see a sign of our wealth? And I will open that freezer and I will show them that we have extra food. Extra and I look at my kids and I say, do you realize this right here means that we are better off than at least 90% of the world? There's yeah. a thought for you. Yes. Because we have extra food. When I was in college, they had um, a world hunger awareness banquet. And I never went, but I know the concept of it. You bought a ticket for, I don't know, $20 or something. And... I also can't remember the proportions, but out of like 300 people or something, two people would get like lobster and steak. And it was random what you got. And maybe 50 people would get chicken. And everyone else that bought a ticket to the banquet would get rice and beans. And, and they were making a point that most of the world doesn't have even chicken. Meat. Let's just say right. protein, animal protein, yeah. right? And the shrimp and the lobster, the surf and turf, or the lobster and the, and the steak is, is definitely, it's beyond. And yeah, that's the point. Yep. But yep. it's so easy to want and want and want and more, more, more. Even, even minimalists, which, you know, you think of minimalists as not, they get down to like, 30 items that they even own or stuff they can fit a hundred. Yeah. It was like a hundred items. Something. Put, yeah. You know, put it in a, everything you own fits in a backpack. But I, I, after our basement fiasco that you know about um, where we had a sewage backup in our basement, had to get rid of a bunch of stuff. And, and um, I started looking at some minimalism stuff and even they have this desire to go on a bigger trip or have not, 10 pairs of shoes, but two like really, really good pair of shoes. And there's still this desire to have, that's not the number of things, but that 
there's still this craving for more and better and and the highest quality right if i'm only right. gonna have one then i want it to be the absolute best right, right. i'm gonna have three or four hundred pair three or four hundred dollar pair of shoes instead of you know 15 pair of shoes in my closet so right. that's a, it's a human problem and yeah it's very american though I think it's North American. Let's be a yes. little more generous. Yes, yes, We're Canadian yes. brothers and sisters. It's very United very States. Very affluent like us. <laughs> it's very United States. Yeah. So, so as the questions, and hopefully we see some stuff uh, starting to come in, let me ask you, because I was thinking about this when you were talking, you talked about these ideas of peace and contentment, and you talked about the peace that God gives that passes understanding. And you said you could, in that, and I agree with you, you could even substitute the word contentment in that passage. So I was thinking as you were going through it, would you mind just taking a moment and kind of in a, in a nutshell, or maybe not even in a nutshell, just how would you explain contentment? So we've referenced that oh. quite a bit tonight. And in case that's not totally clear to everyone, when we talk about this, especially this biblical idea of contentment. Right. Okay, so I should be content. What is that? What is that? <laughs> right. Um, I would say that the, the idea behind it is being okay with where you are. Not as in you don't need to improve yourself to be better, more like Jesus. We can always do that. But being content with what you have, uh, being okay being it's sufficient um, and trusting that whatever I need, God is going to provide me that. And if I don't have it, it must not be what I need. Um, there you and, go. and that's hard. That's so, so, okay. That's great. So you've talked about this idea of contentment and it's, and it's being okay with what you have and, and trusting God for the rest. I think it's interesting. Um, you mentioned that passage. I believe it's Philippians where Paul talks about whatever state I'm in. I've learned, you know, when I have much, when I have little to be content. Now, you also read another passage where he talks about that if you have enough food and enough clothes, basically you're okay. And this is my paraphrase. We had this conversation with our children in the not too distant past where we were reading some of these same passages we're talking about, this is the Desi Lugo, para, hear me, paraphrase. But basically, Paul was saying that if your needs are met, if your basic needs are met, then you have enough. Notice built into that is the basic needs. That's why I mentioned food and clothing and things. So there are times where you may be going without and some basic need at the time is not being met. And that's okay that you want that and you desire that and you're yes. trying to take care of that. That's not where most of us find ourselves though. That's right. But let me ask you kind of a follow-up question. If this biblical idea of being content is being okay with what we have and trusting God to provide for us, and that if we don't have something, then we don't need it. Why is it, do you think that we in North America struggle with this concept so much? Um, our flesh is strong. Our culture teaches us, you know, prepare and save and the Puritan, the Puritan work ethic that comes down from 400 years ago. Um, look at probably our grandparents too, as survivors yeah, of depression. Exactly. Yes. And, and my grandfather, my dad's dad was a 
was a good business business good baptist businessman mm-hmm. and um scraped for every little bit of everything he had he got kicked out of the house when he was 16 and um in the middle of the depression he talked about being so hungry his teeth were loose in his head and i don't know if that's even a thing but he says it was i don't i hope to never find out um he didn't have any respect for a, a man or a woman but especially a man that wouldn't work to provide for his family didn't matter if it was a menial job or yeah or whatever and and you know he pulled himself up by the time he he was known as probably the best welder in the west texas oil fields and pulled himself up and scraped together business and when he died he was i wouldn't say he was in the oil compared to a lot of oil field people he wasn't real wealthy but he he was doing he did okay. well for himself yes he did well for himself and and he had pulled himself up my my mom's parents were farmers in the depression and and they had a lot less but it was still very much his work ethic and you know my grandpa had a job with the county and they farmed and anytime you get my aunts and uncles together they talk about chopping cotton and and picking cotton and oh how horrible it was and you know you you worked yeah. these were little kids out there picking cotton very industrious though right and so we had this idea that um and and coming from the puritan idea also that that if you're wealthy it's because god's blessed you so you try to you try to get more wealth to prove that god likes you and and it's Which just is, to be fair that's not that is very much puritan but that's not unique to the puritans we also see this uh, it's very strong in Jewish culture and biblical okay. culture. And even present day, I know from having friends who hmm. have Jewish backgrounds that I wasn't aware especially of that. In, yeah. Especially in your Orthodox Jewish circles that oftentimes um, wealth is seen as a sign, not the only sign, but one of the signs of God's favor. Right. And so, you know, well, you can you, see it. If you're wealthy, then, you know, and if you look at the scripture wrong, favors you. you see where it comes from, because he does talk about pouring out a blessing. And but then we also have Job. So it's a yeah, it's interesting <laughs> to we <laughs> And that's why the Bible is so wonderful, because it balances right. all these different ideas. And you can't take something in isolation. You, you have to hold all these scriptures side by side and see that we're very complex beings and complex emotions and the Bible does a good job of representing these different facets. Yeah. Um, so I, we have this strong, you were saying we have this strong work ethic. We come from a place where um, acquiring wealth is seen as a positive thing. Even a religious favor thing. And religious favor and, and God's favor. And so it, you're swimming upstream to live differently than the idea that we acquire more. It's interesting that here we are at Thanksgiving, and at the same time that we are going to nationally pause tomorrow and be thankful for what we have tomorrow evening, though, we're going to start the biggest holiday shopping rush of the entire year. And even though on the same day that we celebrate how thankful we are for what we have, we're going to begin the biggest spending spree of the year. And even with with COVID, we see the irony of our justice. No, absolutely. It's it's and the timing even is like wow. Yeah. Um, but even with the COVID restrictions and stuff, okay. So the stores are still having Black Friday specials. They're just online now, right? You know, and they've been for the last month. So we take a, a pause from Black Friday even in the middle now, and do Thanksgiving shift formats, right? And during which we eat a gluttonous amount of food and 
you know, we and I'm going to enjoy a really nice feel with, absolutely. with family tomorrow. And I, I'm looking forward to it. We're not saying don't have Thanksgiving right. dinner. We please. were we were counting desserts tonight. And oh, were you? The, yeah, the you number of desserts good. per person is probably much more than it should be. <laughs> it's not something you want to admit on a public broadcast, but it's it's very high, like at an unhealthy level high. One child said, I'll just eat a little bit of, of food and then I'm going to go get dessert. <laughs> Shows you how good we have it. I remember reading, if I can share just a quick story, I remember reading a book and it was a missionary and he was back in the United States and it, it's a book talking about the way that we read scripture in the Western world. And he had been a missionary in Indonesia and just how much it confronted him with his own paradigms, his own way of thinking that he never really thought about. One of And one of the places he was talking about this industriousness and this need to have more. And so he's somewhere on an island in Indonesia and he's talking to this fisherman and this fisherman, you know, had gone out fishing that day and he had caught several fish and it was enough to feed his family. And he had a few extra fish that he could sell at the market. So he got a little bit of money and he went home for the day. And the missionary's talking to him and saying, well, you know, are, are you going to go back out or what are you going to do? And he said, no. And he said, are you, uh, were you going to go back out tomorrow? And he said, well, I got enough fish for the next few days. And he's like, yeah, but you could go and catch even more fish. And the Indonesian man is looking at him going, "Why? I have enough fish for the next few days. <laughs> Why would I go fishing tomorrow? You know, like it didn't even read. And he said right. it, when he was confronted with his own, you know, cause he's thinking this is a fisherman and right. he should be out there every day this catching fish. And the fisherman is thinking, I caught enough fish. Right. My family has food to eat for the next few days. Why would I go fishing tomorrow? Right. It's a heard, totally different that, mindset. I heard that same story, but, and it's probably made up, but um, he went on with it and he said, okay, so the person talking to the fisherman said, well, you could, you know, get, save up enough and hire somebody to run an extra boat. And then you could have profit and you could, you could make a whole company and buy more boats. And, and, and so he sets up this whole thing where you, you know, finally have so a this business, business and looks at him and says, okay, then what? And he says, well, then you can retire and relax in a nice place on the shore, <laughs> which and is, fisherman, it's actually the same story. And you're right. That's not yeah. made of and the fisherman looks at him like he's an idiot. Like I'm already relaxing. He already is relaxed. Right. And he lives on the beach. Right. So why would he do all that extra work? So some way when he's older, he can relax and live on the beach. Right. Yeah. It's the same Great story. story. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it just tells you sometimes how we don't even think about these right. things that exactly. we're working so hard for. Teenagers, a lot of times will get a job so they can buy a car. The reason they need a car is to get to work. And, you know, it's kind of a vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah. How can we begin to combat this, do you think? This, this, how can we push back against this more, more, more? And how can we learn to live a life? Let me be more generous. How can we practice a life? Because it's an ongoing thing, right? How can we practice a life of contentment? Well, some strategies. I think, um, first of all, with any problem or out of balance thing is recognizing it and realizing that it isn't scriptural and it isn't what God planned for us, um, that it isn't good for us. 
God never wants things for us that aren't good for us. And so when, when the Bible speaks against something, there's a reason. It's our instruction manual. This is not the right way to do things. Um, so recognizing it as, as an issue is always the first thing. Um, I would actually think that uh, Arash's lesson last night about generosity and giving is one of the biggest, um, the biggest weapons we have against the greed and the more, more, more. And another very practical, so let me, let me back up before I move on. So that giving, whether it be to tithes offering missions, your neighbor, um, mm-hmm. somebody on the street, uh, somebody that you see needing help, whatever, that generosity combats that. And you see that in the scriptures as well. Another thing that I have a very practical non-biblical thing that I've found is I I that practical advice. Right. I'm, I'm, I try to be careful, um, what I look at. So I don't, I I try not to browse, you know, Amazon, just, just to browse Mm. because I want things and it makes me discontented. Um, I try not to, um, look at, in my world, it would be, you know, grand pianos or whatever. And every once in a while, I'll really nice musical instrument. I'll drool a little bit, but then I move on and, and I don't focus on those things that I don't have and, and try to focus like the video, the video was showing to try to focus on what you do have and how blessed we are. And even the poorest of us is, is very, very rich. Um, and, and even if we're not rich in, in wealthy, in worldly possessions, you know, the people that I spoke of in the developing countries or whatever, they can still have contentment in God. Um, and it really isn't about how much we have or don't have. It's about, about how we're looking at it and how we're holding it. Are we holding it? Whatever we do have, whether it's one set of clothes and, you know, whatever uh, the food for today, are we holding it real tight or are we are we generous with it? So I would say those are a couple of things. Be careful what you put into your brain and into your life. There's a story that uh, I believe it comes from, I think we heard it decades ago on James Dobson's broadcast, but this guy tells about, he had just finished a deck. He had built a deck and he had just finished mowing his yard and he was feeling really good about it. And he goes and he sits down on the deck to have a glass of lemonade and he starts looking at, I don't know, House Beautiful or Better Homes and Gardens or something. And by the time he gets up from his chair, by the time he's done with his lemonade, he looks around and goes, this is the biggest trash heap, you know, because. After he just finished building this. Right. It wasn't as nice as everybody else's. So. So, yeah. so two very good points. One, a good antidote is to be generous and to live a life of generosity where you share with others. And then a second very practical piece of advice is just to be conscious of, of what we feed our mind in the sense that yes. what are we looking at and browsing through catalogs. Is and, and the ad culture, the, the marketing culture, culture, you know, is, is finely tuned to make us want this thing. And some of it's silly stuff like, you know, the kitchen gadget that you use maybe once a year and, and, you know, but they've, they've figured out how to make you want it. 
Yeah, someone in the comments earlier posted, there's a big difference between our needs and our wants. And exactly. a lot of times we can get those mixed up, can't we? Yes, yes. So, and it's never satisfied. Our wants are never satisfied. We get something new and we're excited, you know, the new car and you, you polish it and keep it clean and it's wonderful. And two years later, you, yeah, there's some French fries and <laughs> you know? <laughs> hopefully not, but reality is. In my house, it'd be goldfish. We're just about past that stage. But yeah. when my kids were younger, it was goldfish and maybe a little applesauce that I didn't yeah. quite get wiped up fast. <laughs> car seats, yeah. Yeah. Um, we had a question come in that said, how can we be content while still gaining, getting more and gaining more? For example, mm. such as when you're growing a business, because you yes. gave the example of, of your grandfather growing a business. Yes. Was, hear us. We're not saying that you not wrong. gain more and we're not saying Probably. you can't grow a business, but how right. can you maintain that contentment as things are growing around you? Um, that's a very good question. I would say again, the make sure you're being generous with um, both your personal wealth and with with your business. Make sure you're helping people. Um, it's it's a travesty, and I don't want to get into politi politics or that, but it's a travesty that some of our some of our big businesses don't pay people well. Um, so make sure that you compensate your people. Appropriate. So as your business grows, you need to make sure that right. those who are working for you are maintaining a, a literally a, share a, the wealth. Yeah. yeah. And um, and again, I, I think really one of our best. Well, the the don't worry and trust, trust in God. But then when he does bless us, because he does bless us um, to then hold that openly and and share it. And you see that in the, the story of the barns. Um, he wasn't necessarily displeased that the guy had had a great harvest. harvest. God gave him that harvest. Um, but then what did he do with that? And it was all about him. Me, me, my, mine. Um, I'm going to yeah. keep this. And the fact I'm that he had, that's a good point. The fact that he had a large harvest was not the issue. It wasn't the issue. That's right. It was that he was so self-focused. With what he was going to do with that. Yes. So as we come to the top of the hour, one more question for you. Um, can you give us some advice on how we can refocus when we begin to worry? You mentioned yourself that you're a worrier. Probably most of us are. Many of us may be closet worriers, but we're probably all worriers. And so yeah. how can we begin to refocus when we feel like, um, and you know, and it's starting to get yes. out of control? Um. I, I do think the key to it is trusting God because that's where, that's where our trust should lie. And so things that help that such as Bible reading. So read the scriptures, read the Psalms and, and read the encouraging, maybe not lamentations or, you know, Jeremiah. Great is thy faithfulness. The scripture that, that comes from that is in the middle of, and there, that's another Bible study for another time. But yeah, there is value in lamentations. Right. Find find uplifting things and find things God's promises to us um, where he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The scriptures that I read tonight, and they're not hard to find. Google's amazing. So Google, you know, scriptures of encouragement or scriptures of encouraging uh, scriptures or right scriptures about worry and 
And, and Google's amazing that way. I love, I love it. It's very simple. You don't have to get out your concordance anymore. And no, you just type in and, and it'll bring up several different entries and, and you can read them and then you can take them and go read the context and prayer, um, listening to sermons. We have gazoodles of sermons online. Um, the word. Turning word. back Absolutely. To word. I would and say word. And what we listen and what and, we read. And bringing our focus back onto the things that matter. I'm sorry, my lights are going on and off and I don't know why. So no, I'm it's okay. Off. We're almost in the end of the broadcast. <laughs> a lot of it, I think a lot of it also has to do with perspective. Yes, I agree with and that. Some, and, and I have found, at least for me, when I start wigging out, because I do it too, I'm more of a closet worrier. You know, it's usually, it's more smooth and even on the surface and like that duck just floating paddling off like underneath. That. It's just paddling as fast as it can. <laughs> you know? That that tends to be the more the way that I am, but I, it's perspective. When I start losing perspective, right. I, I tend to get there. That focus again on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and so we've got to realize what we do have. Kind of like that video you showed right at the end of of your lesson. You know, I have a bed, and yeah. I have clothes and shoes. With clean water, it's amazing. We have clean water. Yeah, we don't have time to even talk about that, but we take that for granted. Absolutely. You know, Clean water, not we just running it. water, but we have clean water. And, and big deal. Toilets. We have toilets. To that carry is away our waste. We don't live with our waste. Yes. Wow. That's uh, not a guarantee. No, and I I forget the the exact numbers, but in Lagos, Nigeria, like I don't know, thirty percent of people have some access to sewer. Some access. Yes, sewer. and you have a a city of I don't know eleven. No, like. 11 million people or something and 30% of them have access. So you're talking in a place the size of New York City. Yes. And some people right. are 30% of the one third of them have access to some. Right. So, and yeah. our our fascination and now we're going to stop here but our fascination with toilet paper lately. Most of the world doesn't have toilet paper. When we go abroad, they have to go find us toilet paper a lot of places because they don't have toilet paper in you know, the spoiled Americans, they have to have toilet paper. Yeah. Yeah. It's perspective. That's it the is. point. Not so much the toilet paper, but the perspective. Right. We are abundantly right. above and beyond all measure. Yes. If you're not familiar with it, this just came to my head as we're closing out. You can find this. I'm sure now other people are. Steven, stop playing with the lights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Rend Collective. R-E-N-D. Rend Collective. Yes has a song called Counting Every Blessing. Ooh. You can find it, uh, Google that and go, if you haven't heard that before, go listen to that later tonight. It'll give you some good perspective Excellent. on how wonderful we really have it. As he talks about his many blessings and it has nothing to do with his material possessions. Before, before we go, I do want to drop a, a promo uh, note here. Tomorrow and then every day after until Christmas, we're going to be dropping a playlist on Gathering Hub that's for Christmas. It has like 36 songs already loaded into it that are Christmas songs that we've used at our Christmas. Oh, cool. So we have, is that starting tomorrow or the day after? Tomorrow. tomorrow. It's dropping tomorrow. The on day. We will have a brand new Christmas yes. worship playlist. And, and these then, are sacred songs, correct? Yes. And then every day after that. Christmas songs. Yes. Every day after that, except Mondays, I will be adding two Christmas songs to that playlist. One is a traditional and one is a more contemporary song. So Go check that out tomorrow. 
Cool. Um, Joyce actually may drop them tonight. She usually does her work at night. So uh, yeah, check <laughs> sometime in the very near future, you'll yeah. see a new playlist. Yes. So, so check that out on Gathering Hub at newyorkupc.info. Sure. Thank you for sharing that. And for those of you who have joined us, perhaps even for the first time, we thank you for watching this broadcast with us. Uh, we are not broadcasting tomorrow night. It's Thanksgiving. We hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. But normally, you can tune in every evening, Tuesday through Sunday, not Mondays. That's our staff day off, our day of Sabbath. But Tuesday through Sunday, you can join us online at 7 p.m. and you can Find all kinds of information about what our church is doing. In fact, a quick reminder to our church family, we're coming into December in another week. Can you believe that? One more week and we'll be in December. And we have special fun activities planned for the month of December. Anybody want to guess where you can find those activities? Regina, where would I find out about the special activities that are happening in December? NewarkUPC.info. I've heard of that website. NewarkUPC.info newarkupc.info. You can go to that website, find all kinds of information about what we're doing. You can submit prayer requests. You can sign up for a small group, submit baptism requests, contact our staff, partner with us in giving many wonderful things. To all of you who regularly watch with us, we thank you for joining tonight. God bless you all. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you again Friday. Good night. <laughs>